From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today, we are glad to welcome in Keith Martin, who is the principal at the great St. John's Notre Dame School in the city of Folsom. Keith, good day to you. Good, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, indeed. Yes. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, must be a busy schedule uh, very early in the uh, school year. Yeah, we just finished up the first week of school, and busy is an understatement, right? Between <laughs> <laughs> between the back-to-school night events and barbecues and uh, leave it to us to go ahead and throw our first big fundraiser of the year um, the same week. And oh, we wow. exceeded our goal as a school jogathon, and the little ones all the way through the eighth graders secured pledges and jog laps and uh it was a community event and we exceeded our fundraising goal by ten thousand dollars oh my, so go- my goodness yeah, yeah so we're incredibly excited uh for all the energy and um and all the uh, faithfulness of the families participating in more than a handful of events to kick off the school year but based on the smiling faces of the parents i i think they're thrilled to have the kids out of the house and back to school oh that's great that's great uh I must have misplaced my invitation to the barbecue. <laughs> well, yeah, we went through 300 hot dogs real fast. We had, to send, uh, we had to send some others out to get some more food, and tonight the club is grilled in a fury. So next year you'll uh, get your invite for sure, but you have to be able to put up with 104-degree heat here in Folsom. That's great. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Davis, so it's <laughs> pretty pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just don't uh, invite sure. Joey Chestnut to your hot dog roast. No, he's not invited. <laughs> uh, I can't even I can't even begin to watch the highlights of him on ESPN without getting sick to my stomach. No, it's 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 just amazing. I said it to my wife. I said if if I like somebody offered me a billion dollars, how many hot dogs could I eat in 20 minutes, I, I, I'm, you know, maybe, maybe I could get to five or six and then I would just be nauseated, you know, and this guy's eating like 80. It's just, no, I don't know. How, I don't know how he does it. I, I have two dogs at a ball game and then I'm not sleeping that night because yeah. of indigestion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, boy, I remember jogathons with uh, one of my daughters who just, she loved to run, but when I think she was, Third third grade is it was years ago at St. James in Davis and and the, they had like kind of two different divisions you know and one was running really around they didn't, they didn't have a track but something like a track you know the peri- per- perimeter of the playground mm-hmm. and and then the lower division was running kind of lower but I thought she was running uh, the big one you know like a quarter mile. And I, I think I said, "Oh yeah, I'll give you ten dollars a lap." Figuring oh, no. she'll she'll maybe do one or two. They they had them running around the, the third graders around the basketball standards. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm still paying for it. <laughs> I, I was going to say that's a pretty penny. Well, you know, can't take it with you, right? That's can't right. You can't take it with you, and it, it it all went to a good cause. Yeah, yeah, in, in, indeed, yeah. And we've been eating hot dogs and beans ever since. <laughs> I'm so sure. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the Jogathon event is, is, is incredibly fantastic. You know, the school 
I, I came to St. John Notre Dame in 2014, and um, we used to do a marathon, like a true marathon. And wow. We'd, res- we'd reserve some of the um, some of the different uh, jogging and biking paths over here in Folsom, of which there are plenty. Oh, there are. Behind, yeah. yeah, behind the city hall and the zoo. And I was so amazed by the students being able to run those 3Ks and 5Ks, and the parents would run with them. Uh, but uh, something was missing. It was the intimacy of our community within our own school site, right? Mm-hmm. And right. Um, so the so the participation just you know tripled um, from one year to another, as well as the um, fundraising aspect that comes with it, which is secondary, of course, to community. But it's it's all good at the end of the day. The kids had a great time, and I know the families did too. Well, uh, presuming you did it in the early morning. We did, and we the Lord blessed us with really good weather too. Because yeah. uh, earlier in the week it was, you know, all it was too hot, and we're a black top school like most of the county yep. schools yep. in this diocese and probably in this country. Um, and so we put up the shade structures and had the misters and had the water stations, and but it was lovely. And um, we started at eight thirty, and we were done by ten thirty. Oh, that's great! Escaped yeah. the heat. Yeah, that's that's great. So, tell us what brought what brought you first off to to St. John Notre Dame in in uh, 2014. Yeah, so um, my family and I, um, well, my wife and I, when our oldest was two and a half, and we were living in the city of San Francisco. Uh, we lived in a great neighborhood over in uh, what we call Little Heights. If you're mm-hmm. if you're from the city, and we were parishioners at St. Ignatius, which is um, you know the the church attached to the University of San Francisco. We had a great right. life, but we could not afford housing there. I mean, could you imagine that, Bob, on a Catholic school teacher salary? Couldn't afford something? That's, that's very hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife does very well, thankfully. She's uh, she's a CPA, and but we couldn't. We really and truly, we couldn't make a we couldn't make a, a home there because mm-hmm. of how expensive it was. And so we had friends at the time who moved to Folsom, and you know, it was a growing suburb. It's still a growing suburb, and um, you know, we decided that this was an area, you know, we were originally both from Sacramento, so it was, we had family in Sacramento, and so it, it just made sense, right? Uh, really good value for your home back then, not so much now, it's just as expensive right. as the Bay Area out here, uh, but at the time, and then, um, you know, I wanted to continue my service and, and mission work within the Catholic schools, um, and so there were only two up in this area, and the great Sue happened, my predecessor was at St. John Notre Dame and offered me a vice principal job and I had to teach history and religion with the eighth graders, which I, I swore I'd never teach middle school again. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I went for it. And yeah, 10 years later, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be continuing to be um, a principal at this school and this great diocese and serving 225 families and 357 students. So we're, wow. we're doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Were you teaching in San Francisco as well? I was. I, you know, I had the opportunity to teach in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, the Diocese of Oakland. I also worked with the Lasallian Christian Brothers mm-hmm. in Berkeley. Uh, so I made the rounds. I taught everything from primary school through, through high school. And um, it, it was an administrator for part of that, part of that time as well. And um, at the same time, I was studying at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, with the Alliance of Education to get my uh, master's in educational leadership for Catholic mm-hmm. schools. And so it's just an incredible journey uh, in the Bay Area and to South Bend and back and studying and, and teaching and being an administrator. I just, I've always enjoyed the spirit and energy and ethos of Catholic schools. And obviously, 
who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? So right. this is a good place to start. So did you, presumably all your classes at Notre Dame were on Saturdays in the fall. <laughs> You're darn right. No, I wish. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was a great program. It was a, it was a cohort approach. Uh-huh. Um, I was lucky. I was one of 22 selected in, in 2010 to be able to go and participate. The first ever participant from the San Francisco Bay Area, so from San Francisco along the peninsula. There were a few in the East Bay ahead of me. Uh, and I was really lucky because it was mostly it was a mostly sponsored um, program, right? So mm-hmm. 60, at that time, it was sixty five thousand dollars, and so uh, I had to pay five thousand out of pocket. It was it was a really great scholarship and sponsorships that Notre Dame can secure, and it was an incredible three years of rigorous academics. Notre Dame is no joke, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> and, yep. Um, but it was the, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life and of course a good catholic boy i grew up a notre dame fan and a notre dame family um and i in fact i'm wearing all notre dame apparel right now as we speak uh and but it was what i learned there was transformative and that's what we need in our schools now our transformative leaders transformative teachers to help the students to really um to really uh to know the truth and and to love the good and that's that's what i learned at notre dame and um i'll continue to do that work wherever god calls me yeah, you know, um, you, you may have missed it, but the uh, St. Vincent de Paul, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, they, they have their annual dinner for the poor, one of their big fundraisers, and it's usually six or 700 people, you know, in a big hotel ballroom, and they brought out Rudy. And, yes. And uh, got, to, got to shake his hand and then got to interview him on the radio, and uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was as promised, you know. Yeah, I, I had a chance to meet him. Three or four years ago, when he was out and doing a West Coast swing, and he spoke, oh, to a group of to a group of um, entrepreneurs in El Dorado Hills, uh-huh. and I scored an I scored an invite to that. And uh, yeah, he was a very dynamic speaker. His story really resonates with anyone you know who who comes from a blue po- blue collar um, yep. um, yep. family and wants to do better in life and wants an education and you know wants to 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 be a part of uh, a team, right? None of this is surprising. Uh, you know, a good Catholic family from Juliet and understanding the importance of a Trinitarian experience, which is what you can get in sports. And right. No place better on this planet for that kind of community than uh, the University of Notre Dame, in particular the football program. I'm always so impressed with the quality of student-athlete they have there and then also the uh, coaching rep- representation. Yeah, you know, I just uh, I went I went went to that game uh, uh, that game movie uh, with uh, my youngest daughter who grew up uh, my oldest daughter who grew up being a Notre Dame fan and and we both cried we just both cried in that movie you know and I said uh, it is just uh, we snuck into Stanford Stadium one time to see uh, the 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 Fighting Irish play and it was just it was. I remember having the experience years ago of going to the Coliseum to see uh-huh. Notre Dame play USC back back when Notre Dame and, and uh, was playing for number one and had just tied Michigan State ten to ten and and had much grief about it. Nineteen sixty six, and and made the mistake of going with my sisters who weren't really attuned to what time games start and things like that. Oh no! And so we're we're. We had to park way away. We're walking toward the stadium. The game's already started, of course. And I hear this enormous cheer. And I'm going, oh, uh, you know, not a first down cheer, not a completed pass cheer, a touchdown cheer. 
And I said, all right, we're down seven to nothing. And then, you know, as we proceeded to the stadium three more times, I hear the, and I'm going, <laughs> oh, my, we may as well just go back to the car. I walk into the stadium, and Notre Dame is ahead 21 to nothing, and yeah. three quarters of the fans there are wearing green. And this was, at, in, this was in L.A. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame fans travel like no other. Yeah. Um, Stanford, I'm sure you, you yep. experience the same thing uh, every other year. I go with my family to the Notre Dame Stanford game right. in Colorado, and we can buy the cheapest ticket in the lot and go sit wherever we want, and it's just surrounded by blue and gold and green. Yep. You know, Stanford yep. fans just do yep. not come out in droves. People, but you know, this this last year, you know, Notre Dame does what's called a Shamrock Series game, right? And they right. take their whole uh, over, you know, over against the Navy. Thing on yep. the road, and we they went to Las Vegas, and that was. Tremendous experience. Three days of activities with the alumni. They, of course, service opportunities, entrepreneur, entrepreneur engagement, you name it. And um, that, I didn't think we would be able to sell out the new um, stadium there in Las Vegas, the Raiders Stadium. Right. It was packed, and it was blue and gold, and, of course, Kelly Green everywhere. And anywhere along the Strip where Notre Dame fans, they, have, they travel like no other. Yeah, but people forget that uh, uh, Notre Dame's school colors are blue and gold, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, our ladies' colors. Our ladies' That's colors, right. yeah, indeed. Yeah, I've been in that new stadium. I saw the uh, Las Vegas Bowl, saw Florida play Oregon State, and that's oh, okay. quite the stadium. It is. It's gorgeous. It's it's oh. pretty amazing what they can do now with these stadiums. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we've run out of time, Keith, and, and I think nope. – uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, hopefully uh, uh, Marcus Freeman and the Irish will get it together and uh, uh, be a complete factor this year. Yeah, no losing to Marshall and Stanford this year. You might hear me screaming from Folsom. Oh, man. <laughs> the words that the Lord will not, will not appreciate. But listen, I appreciate you having me on and keep St. John Notre Dame and the greater Folsom community in your prayers. Well, I'm only kidding. We've got a few more minutes. Oh, um, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> we'll keep them tell, in the prayers, but never mind. Yes, we will keep you in your prayers. But t- tell us um, um, about the school, about your faculty, and uh uh, you know, the, the enrollment, it sounds like it's peaking up, huh? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's really, it's, first of all, Folsom, as you know, is a growing suburb. And I think they're building upwards to 70,000 new homes here in the South of 50 Project. Yeah, it's, it's um, a huge we, project. It's, yeah. it's massive. Um, and a lot, there are a lot of Catholic families here. A lot of them have come from the San Francisco Bay Area. But now we're getting a lot from, you know, Silicon Valley, a lot of out-of-state moving right. here to work for Intel and other jobs. So we're definitely a growing suburb, which helps. But ultimately, we are a force of good in the community, an authentic and joyful Catholic school. And that is appealing to a lot of families that want their children to have the experience like, like they did coming up, where there's still a structure and a discipline and an ethics and a morals, but most importantly, faith, right? Um, they want their children to, to know and to love Jesus which is and Mother Church, which is so important. And so I find and hire those teachers that understand the ministerial work of Catholic schools. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, you have to search, but the Holy Spirit always provides. And we have a great group of, of veteran teachers and, and, young, and younger, uh, younger first-year, second, third-year teachers. Great ethos. You know, we all get along really well. We're all practicing the faith. We all live our vocations as husbands and wives and daughters and sons and, and some of us grandparents, right? So family is very important to us. And so, the, you know, there, there's a really great sense of community as a result. Um, and not surprising, uh, the rigor is, is good because the teachers are happy and parents are happy because their kids are learning and 
and making friends and um, experiencing everything that the church has to offer. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing that's so wonderful about our Catholic schools, and like you say, I, I, I will never... Uh, Never pick on our public schools. They're 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 doing doing the best they can with with what they're allowed, you know. And uh, um, but when my kids were at St. James, my two oldest kids, what I what I really enjoyed about it was even in math class, it was Catholic. I mean, it was I I understand that two plus two is four in the Catholic Church and also out in the real world, but it it it's like that the it, it's more it's not just okay well we have a religion from 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning and then we just it's just a regular curriculum like you would see anyplace else it isn't it just it permeates the whole day it permeates the whole experience you're, you're absolutely right you know um the transcendentals right uh, that are um experienced in in the different area in the different disciplines and different uh classes that the children and the different courses that the children study um, the, the, the even the orderedness, right, and mm-hmm. um, the right, and the opportunity for the the students to really wonder and awe, right, like having those experiences, and you know, so that's all. And then you get to experience the three great mysteries of the faith, right? We rise and fall, the Paschal mystery experience, community, and 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 a trinitarian experience, and of course, incarnational, right? In fact, every subject is religious, not secular, because it makes sure. you more in His image as you learn. So. You know, really bringing all of those truths to the forefront are important, um, and it helps the students never ask that question. Well, why do I need to learn this? Well, right. You know, do, you want to be you want to be like the, the you know the the greatest and 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 uh, the best, the truth. Uh, you want to be closest to Jesus. Learn these things. It makes you a better human being. Yeah, the the one, you know the uh, spreading the faith. Uh, you know, conversion sometimes has become a dirty word in modern society. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, like I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, if you're trying to convert me, you're telling me there's something wrong with me. You know that kind of attitude. And it, the, the best I ever heard was somebody said, "Well, if you discovered a great new restaurant, uh, wouldn't you tell your friends about it?" Yeah, exactly right. You know, evangelization has has always been a part of the universal church in the school. Sure. Uh, is no different, and you're right. Um, when we when we welcome Christian, uh, non-Catholic Christian families or non non-denominational families or families that have really never uh, experienced church, uh, it's there's an attractiveness to the faith because it's true, right? It's also beautiful, uh, and you know it's it is like experiencing that <laughs> finding that fine dining restaurant that you're looking for or that that new spice that that you've never tasted before or yep. that that beautiful piece of literature that you read for the first time or that sonnet or poem. So, you know, it's, it when, when the families who have never experienced Catholic schools get to come for the first time and, and, and see what the religious always, what, what the religious understood when they came to this country is transformative experiences in school. And we, the ladies can still offer that. Um, it's not surprising that um, they, you know, they're willing to sacrifice the, the, the finance and, and, and pay the tuition, put their children to the school, and, and spread the word in their communities. You know, word of mouth is still incredibly important for us to attract families uh, to our schools, and St. John Notre Dame is no different. And now we're pulling from 20, 23 different zip codes. Oh, wow. Two. Yeah. In 2014, we pulled from two zip codes, um, Eldorado Hills and Folsom, and now we're pulling from 23. We have families from Rancho Marietta, from, the, from Placerville, from Rockland, Roseville. 
Um, and that's just a credit to the hard work and, you know, the faithfulness of the, of the faculty and staff and the families. So you've got, you've, you've got some kids that, uh, coming from one direction and they're complaining it's too hot and you got other kids coming from another direction and it just snowed and they're having trouble getting out of the driveway. <laughs> right. Right. Now we have snow. And then of course up here and the, in the, you know, in the lower foothills, we get the AQI issues, right? When we have our yeah. wildfire season. Right. So right. We, yeah, we get a mix of everything. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we have uh, AQI days and uh, planned for, and when we have bad smoke days, but um. Not snow days yet, but we definitely had families that could not come because they were snowed in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, is, it, it is interesting. Placerville, Grass Valley, all those mm-hmm. areas got a They didn't just get a, you know, like, oh, there's a snowflake. They got feet of snow. It's just <laughs> unbelievable stuff. You know, that I grew up in this area, and I just, I've never seen anything like it. It's just, no, I mean, I, I grew up in Sacramento in the 80s and 90s, and we floods were the thing then. Right, right. right. Yet, <laughs> when the levees were having all sorts of issues. And, yep. Um, it was, <laughs> I remember staying up late as a kid watching the news going, oh, good. Uh, you know, the river's only raised by a quarter of an inch right, the last hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, over the last few years, you're just hoping for any drop of water. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, this last year was great and with all the rain we got and drive around Folsom Lake. And it was, it was active this summer, which is great to see the community out there on their boats and, and enjoying everything that the, um, the outdoors have to offer. Well, Folsom Lake was always one of those lakes that the uh, the the national news would focus about the western drought. You'd see pictures of Folsom Lake, you know, and and all the where the docks were and all that, or or Lake Shasta or Lake Mead. That's right. You know, those were the three that the national news just loved taking the pictures of to show how little water was left. You know, and then uh, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> having lived now in this area for a few years. It's it's nice to see the lake full rather than driving by it, just being shock and awe yeah. of yeah. what is happening here. We need some water. Um, but, you know, the, the weather is so unpredictable. But like right now, even with, these, with the heat index the way it is, um, you know, just trying to keep the air conditioning units going. You know, even even we have all brand new ones in St. John Notre Dame, but just trying to triage brand new ones to be able yep. to function in this type of heat index to keep the classrooms cool. We have big classes, and uh, so there's a lot of bodies in there putting off, radiating that heat, and then you have everything coming from the outdoors. So I am I'm very much looking forward to fall weather. <laughs> Which starts in December <laughs> or know, January. Yeah, right when you – remember taking down when we're taking down the Christmas trees, right? Then yeah. it starts to finally cool. Yeah, I mean, last year when we got that 116-day, that was September. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we did not go outdoors that day, and thankfully the air conditioning units were going. Yeah. We're going strong. But, uh, you know, it's you're right. Uh, a lot of the air conditioning units in this area, they weren't they weren't meant to be on all day fighting that kind of heat. No. Just... No, I have to tell you, coming from San Francisco, you know, we lived there, my wife and I, for 15 years. So we, got com- we became completely acclimated to sure. San Francisco weather. So 70 and sunny, it was like, we're going to the beach, right? right yeah, of right. course. <laughs> and to come here, you know, it took me a long time to just get used to the consistent 80 and low 90s degree weather through the summer and the fall and sometimes the late, you know, in, in the late spring. So I'm still, <laughs> I, I love the air conditioning unit. And I'll never forget, um, we, live in, we live in a, a two-story house, and my wife was pregnant with our, our twin children who are now seven. 
that darn AC unit went out twice that summer in the same week, and I thought for sure she was going to kill me. It's such a beautiful community here and good homes and good people, but, boy, we, we took a while to get used to the heat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my my mom, who grew up in North Dakota and then moved to to Davis, you know, with, when when she got married and et cetera, and, uh, um, boy, uh, she never got used to the heat. Just she just you could just see it and and the when i was growing up uh, we didn't have air conditioning and it was just summer was just hot you know it, right it's just well i remember going to, I, I remember going to high school at christian brothers in the in the early mid 90s and we didn't have air conditioning yeah and so when we get 100 degree days we'd all just be so excited because uh the brothers would close the school they close school noon. yeah yeah <laughs> so we would pray for we pray, pray for, for those hot days so we could get out of there. You know, but for those of us that had sports, we'd have to come back. But, you know, and get a couple hours to yourself, get your studies done, grab some lunch, go find some place that did have AC. Um, of course, now that campus is gorgeous and has AC in, it in is, every yeah. room. Yeah. Keith, uh, as a principal, what's, what's, what, what is your biggest challenge on a day-to-day basis at St. John Notre Dame? Yeah, you know, the, the greatest the greatest challenges are the financial sustainability, and even in, even in a school as thriving as ours is with volume, right? And even when you budget conservatively and you have extra students, you know that that's nice to create a buffer. But you know, ten percent of operating income is is fundraising, and we're no different. And so we've we've, we've grown beyond that now to the the true work of advancement. I got a great director of uh-huh. advancement. I have a director a director that takes care of enrollment management. We so I spend a lot of time with those two, and and we work with a great collaborative, which is called Partners in Mission and Best Practices in Catholic Schools for really trying to grow your philanthropy, your brand marketing, strategic planning, recruitment, all of those things, um, because there is a business aspect to this, and you don't get a lot of that training, um, you know, in, in in your typical administrative programs for schools, no. right? Because you're trained to be an instructional leader. Sure. So Notre Dame, obviously, with being a program that uh, was built for Catholic school leaders, the program I was in, there was, there was a lot of class, classwork and, and, and discussions and, and, and um, action, action research done around that. So I felt, I felt pretty prepared, prepared for those challenges, but they change so quickly, right? What, what worked in recruitment and marketing and philanthropy and relationship building and plan giving five years ago changes mm-hmm. so quick because your demographic of whom you're recruiting right. changes so quick. So that is that is the number one challenge. Um, and then, you know, because we have aging campuses, St. John Notre Dame is 61 years now. Wow. Um, you know, it's and we brought it up, bring it up to the 21st century over the last five to seven years. And so you have to have money for that, but then you have to sustain it because, unfortunately, everything new does not is not built to last like everything old. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I don't know why that's the case. So plant maintenance is it would be second to finances, um, and so I wish I think there would I don't think you'd ever meet a Catholic school principal that says they have enough time for their faculty and staff or enough time right. for their students because of those challenges of an aging campus and financial sustainability. Uh, but the most important piece that we we work on on a day to day basis is sustaining our Catholic identity too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I don't I find that challenge rewarding. Um, and I enjoy spending most of my time um, working to promote our Catholic identity and veil our Catholic identity to form uh, faculty and staff and parents and students. 
I can see how that would be a great challenge for principals too, when uh, especially if they lack resources, right, mm-hmm. or facilities or enrollment. Um, but at the end of the day, that's the most important thing we do. So the greatest challenge is financial sustainability. What keeps you busiest is plant maintenance, but the most important is the Catholic identity. Yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, I I remember talking to a superintendent uh, of schools uh, oh, a number of years ago and said, well, our number one goal is <laughs> to get everybody to heaven. And I thought, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's just so perfect. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, that's that's what we're all aiming for. And that's, that's we want to build a society of, of, you know, positive contributing members, but most importantly, saints. Yep. You know, and, and that's built right into our mission statement. And if it's not aligned with that, then we, we don't do it. Uh, so do you miss the classroom? Or do you get you know, into the classroom I, quite a bit? I do. I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th graders theology of the body. Oh, great. Uh, it's, yeah, so I do uh, get to go in there and work on Jean-Paul II's great treatises, if you will, based on Genesis and then to unveil real truth. And then this is the time to do it, too, where there's so much confusion out there. Uh, that the world provides our young people so to come and have truth being unveiled through the appropriate lens of beauty and love. Um, so I do get to get into the classrooms often and teach theology of the body. <clears throat> you know, I, I will be completely honest with you. I do not miss the, the paperwork, uh-huh. the grading and reporting. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, but you do miss the kids. I mean, I know that, I know that sounds, you know, cliche and, and, and simple, but because I see them every day, but the relationships you build with students as a principal is entirely different than the intimacy of having your own classroom um, or teaching a particular subject, right, at the high school level or the middle school level. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's an element of sadness sometimes when you, and envy in others when you see your colleagues in there engaging in good Socratic discussions, right, or seminars, yeah. or just a teacher nailing a lecture and the students just enthralled by what they're learning, or a really cool group project. Uh, you know, we have a really strong STEM culture at St. John Notre Dame, so the kids are building and making and coding and doing everything else, you know, and you're stuck, you know, answering the 200th email of the day. <laughs> um, but I, I have to tell you, I find so much joy in being a school leader because this is where you can really in, um, impart vision. This is where you can make the greatest change. Yep. Um, you know, and... In, in, and I like to think that I have God has blessed me with the skill set and the fortitude to, to tackle those challenges, and I, and then let create an environment where the teachers are, are really free to unveil the magisterial teachings and be creative and and be disciplined. And um, so I, I experience a lot of joy through their success and the kids' success and the families. And um, but yeah, I mean, there are some days where I'm like, oh man, I would. I would love to get back in there and teach some catechesis again. Mm-hmm. So the theology of the body really keeps one foot in the door from you, which I think is important. I think every administrator should teach something. Um, yeah, but uh, but at the end of the day, this work is so necessary, and uh, if God gives you a skill set for something, you should do it. And yep. so I, I, I carry that cross, and um, and I find a lot of joy in it. So where do, where do your graduates go on to uh, for high school? Yeah, that's a great question. So about, about 55% of our graduates this past year went off to the Catholic high schools in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, Folsom has been a, a really great school for uh, Jesuit and St. Francis for, right. for whatever reason. I think it's probably just because the distance. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of a shorter drive, 
the 65th or the or to Watt um, uh-huh. than it is to get to Martin Luther King. Right. Um, and but but we've had we've had classes in the past where 70 to 80 percent went to Sacramento. But what you're seeing now, with I mean, just speaking frankly, with the rising tuition costs of the yeah. of the secondary schools, and we're we, a lot of us have big Catholic families. The 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 affordability just isn't there. So you're starting to see a lot of families stay and go local with Vista Del Lago. Um, Oak Ridge and Folsom seem uh-huh. to be the, the big three. The big three, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and and uh, talk a little bit. Just uh, we've only got a couple minutes left, but uh, no about about uh, athletics there and and the PAL and all that. You know the the athletics are fantastic. You know it's it's it. We want to experience Christ in sport, right? And 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 compete for Christ, compete for each other. Uh, and really, and really allow the coaches and the athletic director to, um, you know, allow them to develop and to learn. So when I came to the St. John Notre Dame in 2014, we really didn't have a, a full-size gym. We didn't really have a healthy athletic culture to go along with our academics, our worship, and our service. And so what did I do? I went back to Notre Dame. I got involved with the Plyke Champion Initiative, which the PAL does as well. Right. That went and experienced firsthand. Came back brought in a new athletic director that I saw I that saw eye to eye to me in terms of culture and vision. We got our gymnasium built. We trained our coaches and seen themselves as teachers and ministers, right? Implemented a strong culture of prayer, healthy competition, right? Because competition is necessary. And they invested in the necessary infrastructures, um, uniforms, supplies, um, equipment, you name it, right? The facilities we, we, we invested more in. And not surprisingly, we're now uh, competing for championships, um, you know, across all of the different sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just most recently, our girls basketball team won the PAL championship two years in a row with a record of sixteen and two. Wow! Uh, and that's and that's not by accident, right? It, those, it, it was a series of of intentional decisions made to invest in athletics mm-hmm. because so many of our students find God through sport. So many people, so many of our students were gifted with talent for sport, and they needed to develop it. And we just had to get the culture. Uh, we just had to get the culture steady towards Christ, and not towards whatever else. Well, was, certainly, uh, you, you look at almost any uh, sporting arena in the in the country or in the world. Um, probably more prayers offered there than in just about any other venue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and just the, just the if you think about sports. And you think about, like I said, the rising and falling, that Paschal mystery. When you win games, you lose games. High moments and low moments. You know, frustration yep. and joy. I mean, and then the Trinitarian experience of just growing as a team, the friendship, sure. the leadership, right? The camaraderie. I mean, and, and, and the shared suffering and shared joy. And, you know, they're just they're transcendental experiences through sport if it's unveiled in the proper lens. And, and we do a really great job with that, job with that in the parochial athletic league, you know, when your adversary for that moment, right, joins you in prayer in the middle of the gym and the whole community comes together for the the, the appropriate for the appropriate amount of time right. before you kick off to pray for what's important. Um, you know, it changes things. And so our athletics are fantastic. I have a, a tremendous athletic director who uh, continues to invest his time, talent into the program and, and inform himself in the, in the Catholic way and, and, goes to Notre Dame every summer and studies with those across the country to see what they're doing best in sport and running their athletics programs. Uh, and then we'll continue to invest heavily into whatever the kids need um, to help them develop in the different sports. 
I will say out here in Folsom, we have a lot of we have a lot of football players. Sure. Uh, with that. So I would love, uh, you know, this is I would love for us to see us grow our, our, our flag football program a bit more at St. John Notre Dame. We love a lot of the kids play tackle football, but sure. would love for them to have the opportunity to see and, be, and experience um, flag football. Our girls, though, oh. our girls flag football teams. They, I think. What is, that? what is flag girls flag football is one of the number one growing sports I think in the country now. Yeah, and the CIF is sponsoring it this year. So yeah, we have a lot of excitement around our girls this spring. They're ready to lace up their cleats. And oh, that's great! Go around, go around the football. That is that is wonderful. Well, Keith, uh, uh, God's blessings to everybody there, and uh, all our prayers go with you as in this new school year. And say if uh, open invitation, if you got somebody doing something great there, as I know you do. Uh, somebody that could use some publicity or an event maybe coming up that you need need uh, don't hesitate to give us a shout and we get people on the air. Uh, we certainly love you. Bob. It's always a pleasure to uh, to have this time with you. I always look forward to it every school year a couple times. Great. Well, we'll talk to you again soon, Keith. Absolutely. God bless. Hey, God bless you too. Thanks so much. That's uh, Keith Martin, the uh, uh, principal at St. John Notre Dame in. The great city of Folsom. We'll take a quick break. Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This is James McCormick, President and CEO of the Sacramento Choral Society and Orchestra. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thanks, James, for that wonderful introduction and for all the great work you do here uh, in the Sacramento area. Well, we're pleased to welcome in uh, Rabbi Seth Castleman, uh, the executive director of the Great Exodus Project here in the Diocese of Sacramento and the whole Sacramento area. Uh, Rabbi, good to, good to hear your voice again. 
Bob, always good to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. You have, uh, before we talk about the Exodus, you have a big dinner coming up, a big, uh, uh, a big do. We do. Bishop Soto will be uh, uh, the, the headline speaker and, and giving a blessing and is inviting uh, your listeners to join him and myself on October 25th, a Wednesday evening, for a fundraising dinner for Exodus Project here in Sacramento. Where will the dinner be? Uh, when people call or email to, to make a reservation, we'll let them know. Okay, they need good. to register ahead of time, but it'll be here in Sacramento. Very good, in Sacramento, and it's a Wednesday evening? Yeah, uh, 6.30, October 25th. October 25th, very good. Um, um, and they can uh, uh, contact you to get tickets and et cetera? Absolutely. Very good. 916-669-0611. Very good. For those who, who don't know about the Exodus Project, uh, tell us, tell us the, the, the genesis of this. How did it come about? Sure. So Bishop Soto, in his wisdom and compassion, uh, was looking to expand uh, resources for people that were incarcerated, the 25 or 30,000 people in the diocese any, on any given day that are locked up in prison or jail. And then it became more and more apparent that while it was helpful to help people while they were inside with prayer and mass and Bible study and that sort of thing, that in some ways their real need was the day they were released. Mm -hmm. So some six or seven years ago, we started a working group um, that the bishop commissioned to develop some sort of reentry program. And what came out of that, we're in our fifth year now, is Exodus Project. Um, it's based here in Sacramento. It's supported some by the diocese, a lot by the county of Sacramento, the mm -hmm. state of California. We're about to expand into Solano County next month and start an extensive program in Solano as well. Um, and we serve anyone who's been incarcerated. Uh, with mentoring, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, counseling, employment services, some emergency housing, clothing, transportation, cell phones, whatever resources they may need, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, we try to be there for them. You, you mentioned expanding into Solano County. Is is it when you do that? Is it a sort of a county by county basis because you're dealing with uh, county jails, county sheriffs, exactly. county supervisors, et cetera? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so we were invited to apply for uh, a county contract and received it, and we'll be serving in Solano County uh, for a three-year contract and hopefully beyond that. So obviously the word spreading that, uh, about the great work you guys are doing. I think so. I think so. Uh, and we're trying to not only uh, change the lives of the individuals we're working with, but also fostering an inclusive community in the faith community and the society at large that allows for a holistic reintegration, that allows people to come back and find a, a faith community to join, to find a, a place to rent, to find a job. Uh, we work with people of any race, religion, ethnicity. Um, we work with people of all backgrounds and people that are stereotypically marginalized because of their incarceration mm -hmm. and uh, help them and help the society to, to meet. And it's, it's, I, I presume in the prison population, the, the number of people who have a, a faith upbringing, a faith background, uh, uh, et cetera, is, would probably mirror society as a whole? I think so. I mean, we hear a lot about jailhouse conversions and people finding religion mm -hmm. inside, and that certainly happens. And we try to then 
cultivate that on the outside as well. But I think it's probably fairly reflective, and the, diff- the diversity of religions is fairly reflective. As right. a rabbi, it was interesting for me to learn many years ago that Jews are incarcerated at the same rate as white Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are racial disparities based on systemic racism and there are. other such things. But religions, there really isn't a disparity between how many Catholics are incarcerated, mm-hmm. how many Protestants, how many Jews, how many Muslims. Very, very interesting. So, the expl- explain about the about the how people can get involved uh, through the mentoring program. Sure. So every six months, we train another cohort of mentors to work one on one. We match women with women and men with men to be a one on one mentor for anywhere from a month to six months. Sometimes it's starting while they're still in jail. Sometimes it starts after they get out. And they become sort of like a coach, a sponsor, uh, a cheerleader, um, a a sounding board, a listening ear. Uh, We do an extensive training that really helps people uh, to to be well-equipped. And we support them with our director of mentoring, with myself, with with monthly meetings uh, to really support the mentors to be uh, able, balanced, uh, well-boundaried in their approach to working with these individuals coming out. Who are you looking for in a mentor? Uh, well, your listeners would be would be great candidates. They need to have a good ear, be good at listening. Um, we help them work with boundaries. People that have lived uh, experience with incarceration, with addiction, with mental health issues are certainly uh, encouraged to apply. Having lived experience with difficulty, I think, is a great... Uh, is a great qualifier, but really anyone can. We have mentors that are in their early 20s. We have mentors that are in their early 80s. Hmm. Um, so age is not a is not really a factor. Um, but they need to be non-judgmental uh, for the most part, or be able to see their judgment and let it go by. Uh, a certain amount of self-awareness is helpful, um, and some time. It takes the training is about uh, 16 hours over a couple weeks, and then we ask for about eight hours a month uh, to be part of the program. And the, explain, the, explain the eight hours. What I, I know about uh, the training is, is excellent. Mm-hmm. I've, I've mm-hmm. heard that from a number of sources. And, uh, but explain how somebody might be spending these eight sure. hours yeah. uh, over a so course of a month. So once or twice a month meeting with the individual, taking them out to coffee, meeting them here in the office, maybe taking them to an appointment, uh, helping them with a job interview. Uh, it might be some texting and phone calls in between those visits. Uh, there would then be the monthly meeting. There would be some checking in with me during the month just to sort of see how things are going. Uh, sometimes it's less. Uh, I don't think it generally gets more than that. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously you have certain boundaries, I presume. Yes, and we have set rules about you know no exchange of money, uh, no intimacy, right. uh, no breaking laws, no, no, no intoxication or those sorts of things. But then we also work a lot with what are appropriate boundaries and when to say no and how to say no and how to pass the buck to the program or to me when it's mm-hmm. hard to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a whole uh, two-hour training on boundaries and, and a lot of support systems set up so that even as you go along, um, you have people to turn to, you have another mentor to talk to, you have me to talk to. Um, and some of the boundaries are 
fluid. You know, you may not feel comfortable with something right at the beginning, but then after working with somebody for a month or two, you might feel more comfortable with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we work a lot with boundaries. Are you, uh, obviously, uh, uh, you're, you're dealing with the whole person and you're trying to, mm-hmm. to reintegrate them into, into society in a, in a productive, healthful way. Um, are you... Are you able at this point to see the fruits of your labor? Hopefully you are, but I know those things are hard to, hard to track sometimes. We do. It is hard to track. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to track. We stay in touch with some people that are doing great and have had great success, and then there are others that we don't hear from, and we don't know if that's because they've slipped back or mm-hmm. just because they've moved on. Um, I got a call from one individual yesterday from state prison uh, who unfortunately is back in, in prison and really struggling. But he also said, you know, Exodus Project and his relationship with me was the best thing in his life right now mm-hmm. and how much, how appreciative he was and that he looked forward to coming back to us in a couple months when he gets out and uh, would, we, would we be here for him. And so we, we often hear the, the appreciation and the good results, but there are also others who continue to struggle. Mental illness and, and addiction are two of the big demons on so many people's shoulders, especially for those that are uh, coming in and out of jail and prison. Are, are you able to say yes to somebody like this? Are there times when you have to say no? We can say yes with some resources to pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, only some qualify for our emergency hotel uh, um, we certainly want to keep our mentors safe and right. not just physically safe, but also emotionally feeling safe. So I wouldn't necessarily match everybody up with a, with a mentor, uh, depending on the case by case, but we can pretty much always offer some resources. We have a counselor here who does counseling. Uh, we have employment services. So we rarely if ever have to turn somebody away. Wow. That's, uh, it, it sounds like it, it would be a very rewarding program for somebody who gets involved in it uh, mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. well. Yes. Um, yes. I, uh, I know my, one of my college-age daughters uh, uh, at UC Santa Cruz got involved uh, with a program through UC Santa Cruz at Soledad uh-huh. and uh-huh. was just, you know, um, she still talks about it. You know, yeah. it's just, just how, how she, she connected with these people on a, on a human level. You know, sure, and sure. and they, they weren't just sort of numbers or somebody who's incarcerated. They were they were real people. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, she's she's um, very interested in at some point when she gets settled uh, to getting involved in the Exodus Project. That's exciting. That's exciting. I had a meeting yesterday, and there was a mentor there, a devout Catholic woman uh, from just east of Sacramento, and uh, she. Recently retired and started Exodus right when she retired, went through the training about two years ago, uh, has been working with somebody. It's usually a six-month maximum, but they've worked together for about a year and a half, and it's been going uh, gangbusters, and her, her mentoring with this, with this young woman. And she said, to my delight, she said, it's been the most valuable volunteer work uh, that I've ever done. Oh, wow. And uh, it's really, she, she said, it's transformed her life as much as it's transformed the life of her mentee. So, Seth, what are, what are the biggest challenges for you in your position? So we're all 
always looking for more mentors. We're always looking for additional funding. We're always looking for additional employers who are willing to give people a second chance. Uh-huh. Uh, so your listeners could help with, with any of those, uh, with, with donations. There, we have plenty of people from, from the diocese uh, who give monthly. We have others who give a one-time gift or an annual gift um, financially. Uh, we have people that donate cars. Sometimes we sell them and and uh, take the take the funds to run the program. Sometimes we pass the car on to to one of our clients who needs to be able to get to work and back. Um, so finding good mentors, finding good funding, uh, finding good jobs, I would say, would be would be three uh, big things. We're trying to reopen our transitional houses so that we can offer more ongoing uh, housing, and that of course takes funding. How receptive are employers when you first approach them? Well, the the silver lining to COVID and the and the aftermath has <laughs> yeah. been the employment market has been really strong. It has. So yeah. we have a great employment specialist who helps people find jobs and always has a a, a big file folder of of good jobs. Um, you know, it's not for every employer, but there are plenty of employers out there who will. Uh, hire our clients, and we work with them in an ongoing way, even after they're placed. Now, these, uh, and uh, I presume, uh, this is voluntary on the part of the person who is incarcerated and about to get out, yes, or is already absolutely. out. Uh, nobody, nobody in the prison system is saying you have to do this program. That is true. Although we have a contract with the public defender in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and they we pick people up from the jail that are released pre-trial, and sometimes the judge is on the fence about letting them out, and the public defender will say, "Well, what if they go to Exodus Project?" Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the judge will say, "Oh, well, if they go to Exodus Project, I will let them out right, right. now." Right. And then we'll go and pick them up and bring them down here. A, a little bit of a carrot and a stick, but exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. But still, still uh, something that it, 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 it's provided as a choice. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. How, how do you get the word? Do, do most people that would be potential candidates for the Exodus Project, are they getting the word? How do you get the word out to them? The word is out there. I used to go into the jails a lot more and give presentations, and now the word is on the units, and it's, the word is out there. In the, we have a lot of homeless clients, so it spreads that way as well. Probation refers a lot of people. The public defender refers a lot of people. And then people just come in word of mouth. Very good. So you mentioned uh, donations. How can people make a donation, whether it's one time or ongoing? Sure, sure. So our website, you can get to the St. We're a part of St. Vincent de Paul okay, of the right. Sacramento Diocese. And you can get to our website at exodus-project.org. So E-X-O-D-U-S. And then a, a dash, a hyphen, P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot O-R-G. There's also uh, a link on the diocese website. So if you go to the diocese website and you just type in the search Exodus Project, it should get you to a page for us as well. Or, of course, you can call us at 916-669-0611 to make a donation, to find out about mentoring, or to join us on October 25th for our annual fundraiser. Very good. Uh, we usually have a couple of our participants speak and share their personal experience. A couple of our mentors speak and share their personal experience. It's it's often a very moving event. Very good. Again, October 25th, it will be in Sacramento, uh, 6:30 yes. p.m. Uh, phone number 916. 916- 
Rabbi, always always a joy to talk with you. Thanks for the great work you're doing. You're definitely out there out there in the Lord's vineyard doing the Lord's work. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate you and appreciate all you do. Thanks so much. God bless. Uh, we'll talk to you Take again care. soon. I hope that's uh, uh, Rabbi uh, Seth Castleman, who is the uh, the executive director of the Exodus Project. Uh, 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 it's through Saint Vincent de Paul. Uh, really a, a project of the Diocese of Sacramento, and it's it's changing lives, it's saving lives, it's really, really helping people. And uh, uh, if you want to get involved, uh, you, you just, just look up the Exodus Project, uh, exodus-project.org. And uh, I think this dinner uh, will be uh, obviously uh, something that, uh, it's a fundraiser, but it'll be a very moving event as well. Again, to get tickets to that, 916 Six six nine zero six one one. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in healthcare, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, Countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi- Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. <laughs>